Hey, Prairie Pod listeners. I'm Megan Benage, regional ecologist with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Dr. Marissa Allering, lead scientist with the Nature Conservancy in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. I'm Sarah Bosick, wildlife biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service based out of the Morris Wetland Management District. And I'm Mike Worland. I'm a wildlife biologist with the Minnesota DNR Non-Game Wildlife Program. We're part of the Minnesota Prairie Conservation Partnership, and we're here to help you Discover the prairie. Discover the prairie. Discover the prairie. Discover the prairie. Hey, welcome back to the Prairie Pod. Man, have we got a special episode for you. I know. I am super, super excited about this episode, actually, because even as a scientist, like, I mean, the art and the inspiration of the prairie in art is, I don't know, it feeds my soul. So I'm excited. 100%. I mean, also, the science of restoration is an art. I can't tell you how many times that I'm out there on the land and somebody's like, well, how do you know that? And I'm like, uh, because I've been here. Because I've been doing this, because the land's been telling me these things for years and years and years. You just get this like intangible sense of what's going on and maybe what the land is telling you it needs. And it's not because you looked at reams of data and it's, you know, it's just this like innate knowing that you get when you're really connected to the land and what you're doing and you're paying attention. And I think there's beauty in that. There's art in that. Oh, 100%. I mean, when we're out there doing restoration, it's, yeah, it's creation. It's definitely, there's an art to it. So I am with you there. I love it. So we're going to talk about ways today that the prairie can energize you and inspire us. If people are wondering on the podcast, when you listen to Marissa and I talk and you're like, wow, those people are very happy and they sound like they've got a lot of energy. Yeah, because we work in the prairie. Because the prairie gives that to us freely because it's such a wonderful place to be. And so we're lucky because we have four incredible artists that are joining us today in this conversation. They all work in different mediums, uh, but they've all been inspired by the prairie in some way. And so this is just a really special episode where we get to hear how prairie as a landscape, as a home, then transcends to this inspiration in our art and the things that we're leaving and want to share with others. I think it's nice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100%. Well, let's jump right in. We, we need to hear from these artists. We're going to start in no particular order. Uh, Eliza, let's start with you. You want to introduce yourself and describe your work as an artist? So my name is Eliza Blue. I'm a folk singer and a writer, and I live with my husband and our two kids on a sheep and cattle ranch in western South Dakota. Thank you, Eliza. So glad to have you here with us today. Um, uh, Christy, would you like to go next? Sure. I'm Christy link Um I'm a fine art photographer. I live on a, a small farm along the Minnesota River in western Minnesota, with my husband and uh, almost graduated daughter from high school. Um, I also work at a small planning organization um, in my region called the Upper Minnesota Valley Regional Development Commission. Um, And yeah, I'm surrounded by the prairie and I love it. I would love that too. I'm gonna come over, it's gonna be nice. Gwen, how about you? My name is Gwen Westerman. I live in South Central 
Minnesota along the Maple River and have wide open spaces to the south and the west and can see thunderstorms coming from Worthington. Um, I can't imagine not being able to see the horizon. I'm also a poet and a visual artist, mostly working in fabric and my written work and my uh, fiber work also depict the prairies and the plains. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Gwen is also Minnesota's first native poet laureate. And so that's a huge honor. And it's a huge honor to us to have her here with us today to share her knowledge and wisdom as she often does. Ross, how about you? My name is Ross Heyer. Uh, I live in Crookston, Minnesota with my wife, Leela, and our two dogs, who I hope don't cause any issues here this morning. I grew up in Jackson, Minnesota in the Southwest, so I'm a prairie kid. And like Gwen, you know, if we're driving in the Arrowhead through Ely or something, I am extremely nervous if I can't see the horizon. And I worked for the state of Minnesota for 35 years as a wildlife biologist and was privileged to work on the prairies here in Northwest Minnesota. And since then, I've always worked with visual arts and my favorite being transparent watercolors. So that's what I do now. Sounds like you're doing retirement right, Ross. I'm just working to get there. Gwen, go ahead. I'll be in trouble if I don't mention my husband and my dog. (laughs) Since everyone else mentioned their families. So I live in a hundred-year-old farmhouse with my husband, Glenn Washitina, and our dog, Poppy. Wonderful. See, the record's all clear now. <laughs> now. Now you've done it. You've done your part. Oh, goodness. So we're going to jump right in here and talk a little bit about nature, or specifically the prairie, right, as an inspiration for art. And we're just going to, this whole podcast, this is just going to be a free-flowing conversation with all of the artists, um, but we'll round robin the questions so that everybody gets an opportunity to share. So we're going to start with, would you say, I guess we don't assume this, right, but would you say that the prairie has inspired any of your art or is there a better way to describe how prairie figures into your work? And Gwen, we're going to start with you. I grew up in Kansas and Oklahoma and have been in awe of the prairie for as long as I can remember. Uh, The tall grass prairie in the central uh, plains of Kansas. And I was surprised as I moved farther northward that those rolling prairies continued all the way up into southern Manitoba, which is where my husband is from. Um, So there's something about the way the land, the shape of the land moves, the way the wind moves and storms move across the prairie that has been an inspiration for me in that when I create um, my fiber art, I've incorporated the plains and figures of horses and bison 
um, through all the different seasons. And my poetry also has a lot of references to driving along on those um, back roads through the, through the prairies and listening to the meadowlarks sing or seeing the sunflowers in a field. Um, so it's part of me. And it comes out in my writing and in my visual art. That's amazing. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Ross, would you like to go next? And I think also we should mention that Ross um, was also the recipient of the Northwest Minnesota um, Artist of the Year last year, which we didn't mention in the introduction. So wanted to mention that as well. But Ross, do you want to share with us um, how Prairie or if Prairie has... I'm not sure you need to mention that. Well, (laughs) I have, uh, I feel like a sibling to Gwen. Um, Growing up in Jackson County, there wasn't a tremendous amount of prairie left by the time I was, you know, in my eight, nine, ten years old. But I'd say I was gifted with, you know, great observational skills and, um, our leader alluded to it earlier that if you walk a prairie, it, it just, it goes into your soul and you're become a prairie person. I don't, you know, you're either an open land person or you're a water person or a tree person or others. But everything I do every day of my life is really tied to the thoughts of prairie and I have a very massive uh, Native American library, and I often say I would love to be beam back to the probably the late 1600s, early 1700s, before too much influenced by European people. But it would be a brutal lifestyle just because of you're living by your wits. But I'd be so envious of what just the average indigenous person understood about the prairie because they were immersed while they were one with it. I mean, you know, you often hear people separate plants and animals from humans. I I don't believe in that. I mean, we're all tied into the same thing on this planet. So yes, the prairie is totally in my blood and uh, what a beautiful gift it is to all of us. That was wonderful. And and ecology would agree with you there, Ross, that we we are absolutely part of this system. And without being part of the prairie system, uh, you know, we don't have basic things that we need to live, like water, clean water, air, healthy soil, all of those things. And we sometimes forget that if we live in town and we can't be as immersed in the prairie as we might have once been if we were living at that time. So it's an important point. Chrissy, how about you? Um, I also, I grew up in this area and I, so I grew up in wide open spaces. And so um, always have loved that, that um, yeah, the space and the sky. Um, in my photography work, I've always been inspired by shapes and light and how the light quality hits the subject. Um, but when I'm out in the prairie, there's, it lends for me a different, and a deeper meaning. Um, cause I think about how those, how long the plants have been in the location that I've been in. Um, 
there's something about that wild beauty versus something that humans have landscaped. I mean, they're just out there and there's, they're just incredibly beautiful, just in each in their own right. Um, and there's so much diversity. I think about the little plants and their perseverance and overcoming these challenges. I mean, you find this tiny little plant in this little gravel pit that's that you, you wonder how, how is that still, you know, blooming year after year? It, it, I just, I find that really inspirational. Um, and I'm always finding new species. Um, the prairie is always full of surprises. So it just, when I'm out there taking photos, it just, it, it, it's exciting. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about it that way, but it's just walking through the prairie. It's, it's just exciting to see what I might stumble on next. And, um, that that's kind of where I have an emotional response to the prairie and, and just that, that it's been there long before any of us. Um, and that I really appreciate that. I uh, so, um, yeah, understand where you're coming from with that. And I've, especially this whole like finding plants and in, you know, in gravel pits or in all sorts of places, I think we just totally underestimate sometimes like the resilience and capabilities of these, these beans, um, these plants and animals. So yeah. Thank you, Christy. Would you like to go next to Liza? Well, it sounds like I am going to be, um, then the misfit of the group because I actually was born in Detroit, Michigan and grew up, um, among the trees. <laughs> we lived mostly in cities and suburbs, um, but we would go um, up to northern Michigan um, by the Lake Michigan. And so to me, that felt like home. That was my home landscape. Um, I would agree. I think people do kind of fall into categories <laughs> of maybe tree people or, or water people or prairie people. So it's been the surprise of my life to have ended up now here on the prairie. <clears throat> And I also, um, where we live in Western South Dakota is actually classified as short grass prairie, um, which, you know, being from the east, eastern part of the state, I, or the, of the country, I didn't realize that there even were two kinds of prairies. I thought prairie is prairie. Um, and I'd, I'd driven enough, uh, in my life as a touring musician that I'd sort of seen a lot of the different geographies of this country. Um, but I didn't understand that when you cross over the Missouri River that you are you are crossing into a very different landscape. So um, moving out here to the short grass prairie, which not only is very open, it's also considerably drier than the, the tall grass prairie, which is why our grasses are shorter. Um, but what's really interesting about it is that our landscape, um, sort of as you were saying, Dan, our landscape is much more similar to how it would have been a thousand years ago, simply because um, there's a lot more grazing land and open range here still, um, because we just don't get enough moisture to support the kind of agriculture we see on the eastern part of our state of South Dakota and in western Minnesota. So um, I feel like it's been this enormous revelation and gift to get to be a part of a landscape. And granted, there's still a lot of human machinations happening with, um, you know, rot rotational grazing and things like that. But the way um, humans have been interacting with this landscape um, is, is just it's a lot more similar to what would have been happening with grazing ruminants a thousand years ago. So I, I feel like um, I came here and I didn't plan to stay long. Um, and 
I fell in love first with sheep <laughs> um, and then and then with my husband <laughs> and and my love for the prairie has grown um, over time as well. And for me, it, it, it's because I have this opportunity to speak for a place. Oh, I'm kind of going to, I'm scared I'm going to get emotional about this. I think I am. So sorry in advance if I'm getting a little choked up. But um, I, I was an artist before I came here. I played music. I wrote. But it wasn't until I came here that I realized what my calling was, which was to tell the story of this place that um, where we still where we still are getting to have this relationship that is so ancient. Um, and you can do it anywhere. I mean, even landscapes that have, you know, had a lot of human hands involved in, in creating them. Um, I think there's still an opportunity to be part of that interdependent relationship we've been talking about. But it really is an unbelievable gift for me as a person who came from cities and suburbs to get to feel what wildness is like um, and to experience the scale of wildness that we have out here where so much of the land is allowed to exist without human intervention. (laughs) Um, So that is definitely the biggest inspiration for my life and for my work as an artist. I'm just like puzzling over that phrase I like it where wildness lives. That's such a good way to think about nature and how connected we are to it and those experiences when you can just be. I love it. So you've kind of all described this away in a way, but you haven't necessarily described the pivotal moment that brought Prairie into your art. So is there like a particular experience or story that helped bring Prairie into your art? And Gwen, we'll just go right back to you. Yes, there, there is. Um, Prairie had been part of my poetry and my writing for quite a while because I write about what I see. But for my fiber art, it was, I guess, kind of jettisoned in a new direction from traditional uh, quilting patterns, star quilts, um, and other kinds of quilt patterns to more representational art. I had a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board to visit uh, places and incorporate Dakota language and song into the art that I created. So I went to Blue Mound State Park and went to the highest place where you can stand and took a photo, took photos 360 degrees around this high point where I was standing. And I was just, I was just overcome with the vastness of the space and how the horizon seemed to disappear into the sky. When I got home, I looked at my photos and in every single photo I took, there were wind turbines on the horizon. And I was surprised because I didn't notice them when I was there. 
So the first piece I made was about the bison at Blue Mound and um, the words of an old, old Dakota song that says, Daku Oto Omakuapi Ka Hnach Wani. There are many things chasing me, but I still live. And so I made my first landscape quilt with the blues and the greens of the prairie and the sky and um, incorporated uh, a large bison into that and then the words of that song underneath, along with the wind turbines in the background that kind of went off into the horizon. And ever since then, it's like how many different stories can I tell in that visual format and let people be moved by the colors and the, the, the rolling lines of a prairie and the indistinctness between the horizon, between the sky and the land. That's beautiful. I, and I, I've seen, I don't know if I've seen that one, but I've seen some of your, um, your textile art, your quilts, and they're so incredible. And I think that similarly, like I really love the, the being able to see the horizon, right? The big wide open space. And it's so hard to capture sometimes, but I feel like you've done it so well in, in the, the textile art format, because I feel like, or at least me and maybe Christy, you can speak to this later. It's like, I take a picture of the prairie and it just does not do it justice, right? But I feel like your your quilts and your art have captured that that space and that vastness so well. So thank you that's for sharing that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah, maybe we'll just go in the same order. So Ross, would you like to go next? Is there any particular moment that really brought prairie into your art for you? Well, I, I don't think... A moment that brought it to my art because I I started painting watercolors when I was probably 12. I'm 66 now. (laughs) I still don't think I understand them. And I certainly, you know, my mother has some of my old, old paintings. And, of course, they're very rudimentary. But there was this drive to put... You know, something had to come out of me and be placed somewhere. For people that aren't creative visually, you know, everybody has a gift, mathematics, physics, whatever it is. Um, but mine is certainly tied to two things on the prairie, the grassland cover, but more importantly, in my early years, the wetlands. And I grew up as a duck hunter, I still hunt ducks a little bit, but um, the one thing that I've always felt sorry for people that live east of, say, well, the beach ridges of Minnesota, the beach lines of Lake Agassiz, they do not get to partake in migration. And yeah, it's tough out right now. We're in, still in the grasp of winter, but I saw horned larks the other day. They're kind of the forebearer of things starting to move northward. But 
watching migration, you know, cranes moving either up and gone or moving in and then down to the ground, Canada geese, whatever species you want to describe. To me, that's truly a resurrection. And I'm not a religious man church-wise, but if I didn't have that in my life every day, every season, I wouldn't be who I am. And so my visual arts just kind of morphed from wanting to record, you know, vast landscapes with skeins of birds moving across them. And I do a lot of paintings like that, sometimes somewhat abstract, sometimes very detailed, but it always entails this constant movement and change on a prairie landscape. And so, you know, as I went into my work career, of course, I was immersed in all of this, you know, worked on ducks for over a decade before I became a land manager. And what a gift it is to us on the prairie to have this seasonal movement of creatures that, where do they go? You know, now, now we know more about it, but it must have been such a mystery to early mankind. They understood that these birds had to go somewhere before winter, but it, it had to fascinate them, you know, in their own minds and in discussions in, in teepee lodges or, you know, other other abodes that were on the prairie. So I think that's that conveys it pretty much. I like it. Migration, the movement of wildlife. Well, don't worry, even those of us who live east, you know, migration <laughs> is sort of shifting a little bit with climate change. And I get really excited about the monarch migration, Ross. Like, I get pretty pumped yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> They're still moving through. <laughs> Chrissy, um, how about you? What what particularly was there an experience, a story? I mean, I know or we know that you or people are going to know that you have <laughs> you're sort of your house is sort of in the middle of all of this public land and you have your own prairie that you manage there. And then this big complex surrounds you. What was the moment that prairie really spoke to you or inspired your art? Um. Yeah, it's it's probably that moment that you're kind of describing. Um, I mean, growing up, I've always loved. You traveling. mean I stole your moment? No, no, no. You, you, you're, you're okay. You're okay. Um, but I think I think that's where I've that's I think that's where I'll end up landing. Um, you know, as I was learning photography, I mean, I love traveling. I love being in nature. I love hiking. That's the reason I. I think that's why I love photography so much. Is that I get to be out in nature and using photography to, to look at the world in a different way. And so I've always, I've always enjoyed nature photography. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in this area, but lived in Duluth, lived in, um, um, Eastern Wisconsin for a while. And it was probably when I, we, we moved to this farm and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by this remnant, incredible prairie. Um, and, um, especially as I had small children, I realized I couldn't travel and go at that many places. So, I mean, I, I started photographing the world that was right in my backyard. Um, I had learned about prairie plants cause I actually worked for, um, a photographer that, uh, 
photographs for the Nature Conservancy, Richard Hamilton Smith in my younger years. So I spent hours um, researching and labeling his slides. So I had gotten to learn about a lot of the prairie plants and understanding um, some of the different prairies. So I, I, I started to recognize some of the plants and started looking them up um, and then really started highlighting them and, and um, wanting, wanting to sort of um, dig in and learn more about them. Um, I've photographed in the winter where I used winter. Um, I have a series called Winter Sketch. And so I kind of use the snow as my canvas and just whatever's left in the prairie as sort of little sketchbooks. Um, that was in my darkroom years even. Um, and then I have a series kind of soon after that that was called From the Driveway. So here I am, you know, with two small children. All I could do was go down my driveway and just kind of veer off a little bit and 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 catch little pieces of the prairie. And so that's, that's kind of what was right there for me. Um, and I just, I found that I love celebrating the prairie with my, with my photographs and some of them become kind of portraits and just looking really at each plant. Um, and I just, I've, once I started doing that, it's just, it's become something that I just keep going back to. So that's great. I love that from the driveway. Um, that's awesome. I wish I wish I could do some. My driveway is a little too suburban for that, but <laughs> that's that's very cool. Um, Eliza, is there a moment for you that where it really dug in the prairie? Well, I, I I would say no. I mean, I think that it really has been sort of these ever widening circles. Um, so it really, like I said, it really started with. Um, Getting, I brought home two bum lambs from a from a rancher friend the first spring that I lived here, and that was my first experience, land uh, hands on experience with livestock, and um, from there I just you know I, it started really with this amazement with the birth and death cycle that is a really big part of um, definitely working in agriculture, definitely working with livestock, but I think also just as you get more tuned into um, these systems that of the land and seasonality, you just start to tune into these, these birth and death cycles that again, I was totally unaware of um, growing up in cities and suburbs. So that was probably, those were the first big awakenings and I think shifts in my work. Um, but on a very practical level, um, I started writing, um, once I had decided I was going to stay and I got married, um, we had our first little guy came pretty soon after. And, um, so I knew I wasn't going to be touring anymore, or at least not like I had been. Um, so I started writing a column for our little local paper, basically just to have a creative outlet. Um, and it's called Little Pasture on the Prairie. So this is, I, I'm actually next year will be my 10th year of writing this column. And um, just by having this this opportunity once a week to just kind of check in with with what was happening on the ranch, what was happening again with the seasons, um, I think that partly just you know my, my awareness was increasing, but it was also having this this log that um, really kind of pushed me to then be aware of what was happening so I could, you know, describe it to my readers. Um, 
And that is such a treasure to me now. It was kind of a spur of the moment decision to start writing it. Um, I just thought it would be fun. (laughs) And it's turned out to be um, it. just the gift of my life, I think, to have this um, to have this writing practice now um, that turned into a book and has led to all kinds of other interesting opportunities, um, unexpected opportunities, but just started as simply as, <clears throat> you know, sitting down once a week to describe what was happening in the landscape around me. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> just sitting and noticing, right? Taking the time to notice and, and reflect. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. Well, so our, our next question, and I'm wondering maybe if we go in reverse order this time. So maybe Eliza, starting with you, but I'm wondering, you know, I've listened to a, a lot of your music, which is phenomenal. I totally so enjoy it. And especially your song with the prairie plant um, names. I just love that, <laughs> love that one. Um, I love many of them, but that one is, is pretty fun. Um, but I guess I'm just wondering like in your music um, is there, or, or in your writing either way, I guess, is there a particular feeling or message um, that you're trying to convey about prairies or, you know, just, I guess, in general, in your work? Or is that at the forefront? Um, well, you know, it's interesting, and I, I'm, I'll be excited to hear what, what um, everyone else has to say about this, too, because I think that there's, you know, you can come to your art and your creative process with an agenda, <laughs> but a lot of times the, the art or the, whatever the, the work is, um, has its own agenda or so it seems. Um, and so often, yeah, I have come, I have come to, whether it's, you know, sitting down with my guitar or coming to the page to start writing with a pretty good idea of what I want to say. And by the end, it's, it's taken me somewhere completely different, which is that relationship, um, is, is probably one of my favorite parts of, of getting to work as an artist. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, like I said before, I feel like it's, it's really important to me to be sharing these stories of this place where, um, the, the other than human life is such a huge and prominent part of our daily lives as the humans that, that live here. Um, because we are, I mean, where I live, I think it's our population density is like one person per square mile or might even be less than that. We're, we're technically qualified as frontier. We aren't even rural here. <laughs> they moved us back from rural to frontier at some point um, because there's just, yeah, not very many human beings, um, which, which again is, is very different than a lot of people's experiences, but um, is, is an exciting opportunity to just get to be such a small, a small part of, of the everyday happenings. Um, so yeah, I think that is what I try to bring most often. Um, and then I also, so I have to say, Marissa, like I, <laughs> I, we've met before in real life and I was, I was starstruck then and I still am like, <laughs> I, I, um, I tour and perform a show called songs from the soil in which I quote you, um, <laughs> And so, yeah, when I first got to meet you, it was really exciting because I feel like I would love as as much as possible to be able to share the stories that that you and your colleagues. Um, I mean, the work you're doing, I just I think it's wonderful. And so, yeah, whatever I can do to help share your stories, I really want to do. 
I am well. very humbled by that. Um, believe me, because I find <laughs> your music um, so inspiring and, and all of the prairie art that you all do so inspiring. Um, so I think, you know, where, where we can have collaborations, that's that's totally awesome. So thank you for that. Look at that, Marissa, you're a star in so many ways. <laughs> you never know. You're going to say something about soil, and then it's going to be in a song. Like, it's wonderful. <laughs> Christy, how about you? Um, so a particularly feeling, I suppose, I don't know, my photos are pretty peaceful. You know, that's usually the it's grass or a flower is the main topic. And I just, I try to simplify my photos quite a bit. So there's kind of that very peaceful. I mean, there are a few storm clouds, maybe more lately than, than previously. There's been a lot of storms going through our, our neck of the woods, but, um, or our neck of the prairie. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I think what I'd like to do the most is I like to share with the world, this space and these places that are not, it's a, those paths are just not well-traveled, right? People are not trudging through, some of these pieces of prairie, they're not easy to walk through. So it's, it's, I feel like it's my, um, part of my calling is to just show everybody what the the beauty is out in the middle of this prairie. Um, and also to just share with people how worthwhile the prairie is, right. It's, it's, there's, there's so much going on out there and there's so much, um, there's just so much beauty and it's, it's, it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile keeping all the, the remnants that we have and, um, to, to preserve it and to enhance those prairies. So that's probably what I'm thinking about as far as prairies. I really like your side oats series and not just because it's nice alliteration, but because I think side oats is this unassuming grass (laughs) that we don't even often give it credit for being a fully foundational prairie plant, but it's so aptly named. We always say that botanists are real common sense type people because why is it named side oats? Because it's little seeds look like oats and they're on one side of the stem. So these are very common sense people who are naming these plants, right? But I just love like your black and white of the side oats. You've got all of these different ones where the it has these different purples and reds. And that's just like an example of one plant, right? Mm-hmm. That has all of these different sides and facets to it. Yep. I just, when yeah, I was a kid, gra- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it has the grass too that's blooming, right? It's got little flowers mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, I love that part. I know. And you don't often think of like, well, maybe I shouldn't say you don't often, but most of the time people photograph flowers in the prairie, mm-hmm. uh, like you know, Forbes. And so to see like a whole series on a grass is just wonderful because they are what makes prairie prairie and they do have flowers and little florets and they are beautiful in their own right. I just love the black and white that you have. Cause when I was a kid, I, um, Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite movies. In fact, so much so that my grandma would call and she'd ask to speak to Megan and I would refuse to answer the phone because I wanted everyone to call me Dorothy. It was like a whole, it's a whole phase I was going through. And so my grandma called one day and she's like, oh, hi, Maggie, how are you? And I just like left the phone there. And so for, I'm dating myself here, but this is pre-cell phones. This is fully landline. And so my mom comes several minutes later, like five minutes later, she picks up the phone and she's like, mom, who are you talking to? 
<laughs> so my grandma's just talking away. I'm gone. She called me Megan. She didn't call me Dorothy. So <laughs> just it, anyway, this picture, this black and white, just has gives me those very Wizard of Oz kind of vibes right in the beginning. And so it makes me think of my grandma, makes me think of home, but it just makes me think of like these special moments. So I like it. Ross, you know, you've talked a little bit about maybe you know, your inspirations and things, but, and full disclosure, I, Ross has done um, a couple of beautiful watercolors for me of my two favorite prairie sparrows, which I am super excited and honored to have um, in my house. But I would love to hear a little bit from you too, about like, what are you thinking about? Or like, do you have a a feeling or message you're trying to convey in, um, in the, in your watercolors and your work? Sure, Marissa. I think I, you know, Eliza alluded to it that there's basically, I'd say, two approaches when artists start their craft. You know, and early in my career, you know, I entered some duck stamp contests and that kind of stuff. And there was, you know, how do you gain contentment? And to me, other than my love for my wife and my you know, family and friends. Contentment is such a gift to a human being, and it really didn't come to me until my mid-40s because you think there's got to be more, you know, there's got to be more to life. And um, so later in my years, I basically just started painting for my own enjoyment, and I found that actually that turned people onto my art more than if I was really trying to please some individual or, or some group of people. And ever since then, you know, when I see, as an example, I was eating lunch on the prairie one day, you know, just laying down eating. It was on Timpanookas wildlife area, just east of Crookston. And it was late summer, so there were a lot of bottle junctions blooming around me. And I've always looked at that plant and wondered, you know, who the heck pollinates that thing? I mean, the, the flower is closed, and all of a sudden, you know, a bumblebee came and landed on one of those and literally just, like, Schwarzeneggered the top open and, and went in, and I thought, wow, was I lucky to see that. Now I, maybe that's not, not the only thing that pollinates bottle gentians, but I went home that night and painted, you know, just a individual gentian with a bumblebee going into it. And that painting, I've never, you know, it's still in my pile of watercolors that I don't think I'll ever try to sell it or give it away because it was a moment that I got to share for myself and it's a selfish outlook sometimes but you know so I do try to you know inspire people with um, art of prairies somewhat as educational you know another painting I did years ago is called First Light and it came from an experience where you have tall blazing stars I was out there right at dawn it's chilly it's damp and there were all these monarchs hanging on you know had overnighted on these liatris 
and you know the light was just hitting the top one so it was like illuminated and the two lower ones were darker looking monarchs and again getting back to what all of us have talked about unless you immerse yourself in some given habitat you don't get in on these gifts that nature gives us every single day so i do try to convey that in my artwork and try to turn people on to prairie a little bit through that it's hard you know it's a hard habitat to fall in love with and obviously jealous of christy she sounds like she can just you know like Sarah Vosick and her husband can just walk out their back door and turn miles. Yeah, she lives miles, just right on the other side of the river. Okay. <laughs> miles of beautiful tall grass. And, you know, I have to drive up, you know, eight, 10 miles. It's not terrible, but to have it in your right, your backyard, you look out with a cup of tea in the morning, you're seeing the things that I'm describing and how lucky you are. So I think I can tell that each of us, through our art gifts have touched a lot of people. Um, you know, we have a poet laureate in our midst for crying out loud. That's like, like uh, that makes me emotional, you know, so. I know, right, Ross, for crying out loud, we got a poet laureate in our midst. That's enough oh, to on that. Well, you should also know, um, that you're right on that bumblebees are the only bee that's oh. strong enough to pry oh. open a bottle gentian okay. flower and pollinate it. So you, you got to witness its main and only <laughs> group of pollinators okay. because bumblebees have those big beefy arms. Yep. Okay. They're legs, but you know, they can, <laughs> they can pry it open. <laughs> the strongest of the native bees. Yeah. When Ross queued you right up, I just want to make that point about bottle gentian, but uh, how about you? What do you think? When I'm out on the prairie, I'm out there for myself. And um, I've tried taking photographs just with my phone, which is sometimes good, but it's still, it never captures what I really am seeing. So in terms of a message or a feeling, I never really know how my work is going to affect someone. They can come back after looking at one of my uh, landscape quilts and tell me how that story impacted them and tell me what they saw. And I'm grateful and um, sometimes overwhelmed with how particular and specific this response is from, from people. And it can be the same way for poetry as it is for visual art. And I, I always make sure I, I tell them that I appreciate that they shared those stories with me because it, it means a lot when somebody will talk to you about your songs or your paintings or your photographs or your visual art, um, that it moved them enough that they would say something. Sometimes what I had intended is not what people hear or see. 
And so that just tells me that there's, there's a deeper connection there with um, the way that I write about or the way that I create visual art about the prairie. And it's a living thing. It's, it's another living thing, another living being, and a whole series of other beings within it. Um, so it, it grows, and it lives, and it dies, and it, it breathes, it drinks, it um, basks in the sunshine. And if people can respond to that message and see that prairie and all of its uh, components and companions as living things on par with us as humans, that's, that's the best response, I think. And you can't ever really control the message that you want to convey. Even when you use words, people can interpret it in their own ways. And I think that's the powerful aspect of, of art and our intentions as artists. We can't always know what the response is going to be. And sometimes it's overwhelming and humbling when, we, when our viewers or our listeners or our readers share those responses with us. I like how you're describing that, Gwen, because it's both a using prairie as an inspiration for art is both a connected and an individual experience where even you're hearing us talk today. We obviously love prairie. I mean, this is clear. Like we, we love it. But as Gwen's saying, we still have individual experiences on the prairie that have shaped us and made us who we are. I mean, I don't know that Christy, for example, thought that somebody was going to look at her side owns painting and think about the Wizard of Oz. Maybe that wasn't what was intended, but, but, and that's just a little joke, but truly for me, it's, it spoke to these very individual memories and moments that I have in my life as art does for all of us, but we're connected in it by this, shared love of the prairie and this shared understanding of what it means to be connected to the prairie. So I just think that's really beautiful. We're going to ask you, what's your favorite work of art that you've created and and why? And that's kind of how we're going to close it out today. What's your favorite one? And I know this is, I hate when people ask me this question. It's like when people say, what's your favorite podcast episode? And and maybe you secretly have a favorite. We can't tell people because then they'll be like, well, what didn't you like about the other ones? And it's not really that you didn't like something about the other ones. It's more that you just, something particularly special happened in that moment. So I know it's hard to choose. It's also like we ask you to fi- pick your favorite prairie spot. And sometimes people will say, well, it depends on the day and the mood I'm in because I have different prairies that I like to visit for different reasons to fit different needs. Regardless, we're still asking you this question. You're not off the hook. <laughs> so I was rambling to give you time to think. Christy, <laughs> we're starting with you. So. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah, that that one's hard because some of the photographs I take, I like right away and then I don't like it 
you know, five years later, um, I will choose, I have a photograph, it's black and white. Um, so maybe, um, it's, it's actually of my daughter. She's about four or five years old and she's walking out on our driveway and she's in a little tutu and she's, um, holding her bike and there's kind of this big cloud in the distance, black and, you know, it looks ominous. It's not ominous, but it's, it's a little, it looks dramatic because the clouds can be on the prairie. Um, and so, yeah, she's just heading out into the world in her little tutu outfit with her bike and she's ready to take on, take on the world. So I'll, I'll choose that one. That's great. And I, you're totally right. Like, I feel like sometimes the, that's one of the things I love about clouds on the prairie is like when the light hits them right, they just so incredible and they look so ominous and sometimes they are, but oftentimes they're not quite as ominous as they appear. That's, that's beautiful though. I would love to see that. Um, let's go to Eliza. Well, it's true. This is a really hard question. It's like picking your favorite child, right? (laughs) Um, I feel like one of the things um, that is interesting about being an artist, at least for me, is that you always have the feeling that you didn't quite, you didn't quite say what you meant, or you, you didn't quite catch it. Um, and it kind of reminds me of some of the things Gwen was saying earlier. It, it, so it's it is a very magical process, anyway. The sort of alchemy of taking your lived experience and then trying to create. Um, a piece of artwork or a song or a piece of writing um, that then when other people are interacting with it, 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 it becomes its own thing because they have their, or it becomes this thing that's separate from you because they have the viewer or the audience has their own experience of, of the work you've made. Um, So it's, I feel like it's a relationship, like even an individual piece is like still an evolution, if that makes sense, because the meaning may change for you. Um, because it does take on a life of its own after it leaves your your mind or your hands. <laughs> um, so because I do a lot of performance um, of my songs, I, I this, the show I do right now that I mentioned before, Songs from the Soil, um, that just keeps evolving because I keep adding new pieces to it. But it's kind of a collage of written work and poetry and songs. And I really love getting to perform that because it is every audience, it changes with every audience. Um, and it also, because it's, because it's these different forms brought together, um, it feels like it gives me this opportunity to even somehow paint more broadly. I don't know, not paint, obviously, but metaphorically paint more broadly, um, the experience that I have here and the experience of this place and how it's influenced and affected me. So, so that's what I would probably name, but yeah, that's a tough one. (laughs) I know we put you guys in a pickle on purpose because we're just <laughs> curious. It's okay. We could record this, you know, six months from now and you might have a, you all might have a different answer because sometimes it, that's how it works. Ross, we're putting you on the spot. You're not getting out of it. Okay. Favorite one. I, uh, you know, a lot of my paintings are first as a title in my head. I mean, there's a painting I have yet to do that I've thought of for probably 15 years called Learning from the First Dancers. And it would be, you know, the Lakota man and his son or a, a Plains native person under a buffalo robe laying next to a sharp tail dancing ground. 
you know, their ponies would be tied down, hobbled below the hill. But I have not done that painting yet. But I have done many what I call shield paintings. Um, and again, my my feeble attempt to give a tribute to the first people that were on the prairies. But probably my favorite one, it's owned by a woman in Montana, is a war shield called Prairie Chicken Spirit and or Shield Spirit. And it's the shield is in the middle and in the foreground is a is a full blooming male prairie chicken with past flowers at his feet and then a, a another chicken flying across the top of the of the uh, shield and the meaning for me of that painting is you know those times the horse culture is gone but we still have prairie and we still have prairie chickens and and uh, people have tried to you know rub the prairie out but it's very resilient and it's my hope that it'll be around for generations and generations. Thank you, Ross. Thanks for sharing that. That sounds, um, yeah, like a beautiful painting. Gwen, tough question goes to you. And I've had the longest time to think about it, which is probably worse than being first. <laughs> My favorite piece right now will be when they're finished, a series of four. And um, it'll be four um, renditions representing the seasons on the prairie. So big sky, rolling hills all colors of, of the season with a single oak tree um, because I've heard that there's nothing stronger than a single oak tree on the prairie. Well, maybe not nothing stronger, but to see an oak in the middle of the prairie represents strength. And um, it stands, it stands alone. Ishinana um, Naji. And um, that's my favorite right now because I'm working on it. I love that. Ross chose something he hasn't even made yet. And you chose something that you're working on right now. <laughs> I, well, I, was, I, I was actually going to say, I'm, I'm working on this folk opera and yeah, that's what I kind of wanted to say. But then I was like, oh, but it's it's like 10 years away from being done. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think it's great. Like I if, when Glenn. So when Gwen's husband, Glenn, was on the podcast for when the bison came home, we uh, asked him a question when we moved to this let's science section where we recommend resources, which we're about to do. So it's a nice little segue here. Um, what was his favorite book, you know, where people could learn more about the prairie. And he said the one that hasn't been written yet. And so I feel that we're sort of channeling Glenn a little bit today as we're talking about this future thing that we're going to do. And that's absolutely fine. I thought it was a, a perfectly fair answer because in his, what he was talking about was 
as his students and as these young Dakota people go and experience the prairie at Miniopa State Park, they're walking away with new experiences, newfound understanding of their identity as people, what it, you know, how connected they are to this earth, to their relatives, the bison. And so he was excited about what they're going to do with that newfound knowledge, like what book they're going to write and what they're going to, how that's going to manifest, basically. So I think we're just channeling Glenn a little bit today, and I think that's all right. I think it's great, too. I mean, as artists, we need to be um, not thinking that our best work is the work that we've already done, right? We need to like be excited about the next thing that we're doing. So I, I, I think that's a really great way to think about it. <laughs> Wonderful. We could keep talking about this all day long, but we've got to move to our next section. Let's science! To the literature! Science! This is the part of the podcast where we recommend a book, a blog, or a paper. And today, while certainly this is our Let's Science section, Marissa said it aptly earlier, it's really like, let's art. But science and art are connected. So, all this really is, is we just want you to recommend how you, something that you found useful in your journey as artists that helped shape you. Um, and they could be books, they could be people, you know, the world is your oyster here. I need to think of a better prairie analogy than, like, we need to coin a phrase, like, instead of the world is your oyster, like, the world is your pasque flower. I was going to say pasque flower, of <laughs> all the things. Yes, the world is your pasque flower. <laughs> The world is your past flower. <laughs> something, something. We're gonna, we're gonna come up with a good phrase. <laughs> if that's not it, there will be a prairie themed one coming soon. We'll first have to, as Marissa and I are scientists, we first have to research why they chose oysters, and then we can find an analogous we prairie. Can we just declare it? I mean, I think we could just declare it. <laughs> we can just declare it. I like it. Marissa's like, we have all the power. World is your past flower. <laughs> Done. So Marissa and I couldn't help our curiosity, and we did have to look this up. So for the record, The World is Your Oyster first appeared in Shakespeare's play The Merry Wives of Windsor, which was published in 1602. In Act 2, a character named Falstaff says, I will not lend thee a penny, to which Pistol replied, Why then, the world's mine oyster, which I with sword will open. And basically what it means is is that you can do anything you wish or go anywhere you want in life because you have the ability to do so. And the pearl in the oyster is supposed to be symbolic for richness. So if you think about it, the world is your past flower actually works because while you might not find a pearl in a past flower, you can sometimes find a sleeping bumblebee because past flowers close their petals at night and sometimes it's a good spot for a bee to rest and be safe. Past flowers are also great because they're a sign of a healthy, resilient, diverse prairie that's of pretty high quality. So we're sticking with it. The world is your past flower. Christy, we're starting with you. All right. Um, so I learned a lot of photography through 4-H and just photography classes, um, learning about composition. But I think I find inspiration not just from other photographers, but from other artists. So I'm going to recommend um, for inspiration for prairie artists that we have the Meander Art Crawl that is full of prairie artists in western Minnesota. So there's just a wonderful artist within that um, group. And then 
I also have been inspired by uh, a, a collaboration of four different artists that um, I would encourage everybody to look into. Um, Franz Richter, Jean and Lucy Tokheim from Tokheim Stoneware and Karen Jensen. Um, Jean and Lucy are in their 50th year of, of pottery and they, um, they've been working and living out in this area and, and worked collaboratively, collaboratively with, with Franz and Karen. Franz actually just passed away, but has an incredible repertoire of prairie inspired work. Um, and Karen Jensen's a Rosemall artist that I've worked with, but um, if you look at their work and how it connects to the prairie and just how their art has come from the prairie, I think you'd, you'd find some inspiration from, from those. So that's, that's what I'll leave you with. Yeah, that's great. Lots more inspiration. Um, Gwen, would you like to go next? This is a hard task to pick just one. So good job, Christy. If you feel like getting it. four yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I broke that rule. Yes, so. that's totally okay. <laughs> I always wonder about people who have never experienced the prairie. Uh, the way the way that I do being out in the open and how can they get just even a little bit of a sense of the grandeur and the, the vastness of, of the prairie um, at sunrise, at sunset, in the middle of the night when there's a range burn or an electrical storm. Um, so I thought that my recommendation would be um, the uh, photography books of Jim Brandenburg, uh, who's done a lot of amazing images of, of prairie, of nature uh, all across. Um, but there's just something about his work that seems to capture that mystery and that majesty of the uh, prairie for me. And I loved it when he and Jane Goodall were in Nebraska with the migration of the Sandhill Cranes. And he was taking pictures and his camera was, his shutter was making noise. And she looked over at him in the most scolding of ways <laughs> that he was disturbing her with his shutter clicks. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Super funny. Ross, how about you? Well, probably for me, uh, Carl Bodmer. Um, I don't know if he has influence on me, but I'm in awe of his story. For those of you that don't know him, he was the Swiss artist that Prince Maximilian you know, got to go with him on his trip up to Missouri, 1830. 1832 and I don't know how he did it but he did these amazing paintings you know numerous ones of Mato Tope the four bears Mandan you know high powerful chief at that time I mean Mandan he dots had been decimated by smallpox well before their trip but he did these amazing watercolors of native people often in full regalia in the winter of 1831, 1832, which by Mandan standards was told to be 
Well, the Missouri froze that winter, which didn't happen very often, such that they could cross over, you know, back and forth. Um, but if, if you ever get to Creighton University in Omaha, his paintings are, you know, permanently existed at the um, exhibited at the Jocelyn Museum, and the vibrancy of the colors. I just am in awe of how he even did this under those kind of conditions. Um, I can't imagine those earthen lodges had much light in them. Uh, so, again, it falls back for me to some of the first peoples on this landscape and and the wonders that Carl Bodmer got to see, and thankfully he recorded because a lot of people talk about George Catlin as a great Native artist his paintings aren't that accurate as far as accoutrements and different regalia and, you know, hairstyles. And so if you can get down there and see that it's, it's life changing. I think. Let's go check those out. Um, thank you. Uh, Eliza. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I, um, have the pleasure of hosting a, a PBS show called Wish You Were Here. And we get to um, travel around and hang out with and play music with and hear stories from artists all over the Northern Plains. So um, so there's pretty much everyone I've gotten to work with on that show has been a source of inspiration, um, which is why we why we've had them on the show. But to pick out one in particular, um, we did an episode with Kevin Locke, who um, just passed away last year. Um, and he he was a Lakota hoop dancer and indigenous flute player. And he, um, after we recorded the episode, he and I became friends and collaborators. And so he's had a huge influence um, on just in the the trajectory, I guess I'd say, not just of my artwork, but of my life and really changing the way I understand my relationship with <clears throat> with the place that I live. <clears throat> um, again, sort of similar to what you're talking about, Ross, you know, as I didn't grow up here, so I don't have any illusions about it. It's, it's just a very different relationship for me. I don't have cultural traditions. I don't have um, a heritage that comes from this place. So it's, it's a really, it's sort of like a young love <laughs> and, um, oh geez, now I'm going to get emotional again. <laughs> I guess it's, I, I, it's how I started. So why not be how I finish? Um, but I, before working with Kevin, I was thinking of myself sort of as this observer who was just watching the prairie through the seasons, watching the animals and the plants as they were growing and changing and dying and being reborn. And I was trying to record it. But Kevin taught me that, you know, I'm part of it also and that it's a reciprocal relationship. And he came to my house and was playing flute on the porch and you could hear the birds singing back to him. And you know, he would say, yeah, I steal, I steal tunes from the birds all the time. But <laughs> in that moment too, I could hear that the birds also could hear him playing and they were, they were like, oh, that's interesting. Yes. Oh, that's a good, that's a good song. And the wind even kind of came up and it just made me realize that we're part of a song. We're part of a, a dance and a rhythm. 
and a conversation that's been going on since the beginning of time and it's not going to end um, and that we we aren't just listening to it we're part of it that's beautiful <clears throat> and yeah it's so easy to get emotional um, I think about prairie and and especially when we're talking about inspiration and art so I totally understand it's also okay to be emotional about it like because you're a real live yeah, human person are, right? so like i mean well i hope we all are but like, as far as i know as far as i'm aware i mean and emotion and feeling connected is is part of that like it's part of how we show what we're feeling there's nothing wrong with that marissa i think there's nothing i want to do more at this moment than probably go outside and visit a prairie yep. by taking a hike with you and all these wonderful people. Let's do it. Let's take a hike. You ready? All right. Gwen, where are we hiking to today? Blue Mountain State Park. Why do you like Blue Mountains, Gwen? You did describe earlier standing on top and that it was inspiration for one of your your textile art. So It's close to where rivers converge, travel ways converge, animal travel ways, human travel ways, and um, there's just something magical about that place. They're all magical. Yeah. But that one especially. That's where we'll go today, and we can visit the other ones later. <laughs> love it. When I love I love blue mounds too. I, I, I think of it as prairie, 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 cliff, prairie, 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 prairie. <laughs> Such a great place to go. Christy, are we going there too with you or where do you want to go? I was going to pick um, the Big Stone Wildlife Refuge. Um, it's near Ortonville. It's really accessible. There's an audio tour um, and there's some great trails um, so that, I don't know, there's, there's some great prairie there. Um, there's some cactus and some, there's, there's a lot of diversity there. I mean, it's, there's also state land south of there that goes by my house all the way down to, um, Marsh, through Marsh Lake, um, to, and along the Lacaparle, um, Lacaparle Lake and the, it just follows the Minnesota river down. So there's a lot of public land from there, but I think Big Stone Wildlife Refuge is just a really fun place to catch a sunset or yeah, check it yeah, out. Both great places. Ross, where would you go? Well, I'd have to go to my beloved start on the North end of Timpanucus wildlife management area, which is named after that's the genus name for greater prairie chickens. Some people say Tympanicus, I say Tympanicus. But a quick story behind it, the predecessor of Terry Wilson, mine, Jerry Martins, who's still with us, but uh, retired many years ago. He was the first manager here at Crookston and he rolled around in bed for two weeks, wondering if he should buy the first tract of Tympanicus for $18 an acre. He thought it was a little high and thank goodness he did. This was in 63, so it's a while ago. But So Tempanucus is about 1,000 acres state land, a 40 of TNC land that, that had to be restored, but it's quite nice. You wander through all the 
hillocks and broken beach ridges and crossed little flowages. You go from dry prairie to wet prairie in 35 steps. You eventually get to the south end. You cross over a county road onto Thorson Prairie Wildlife Management Area, and you climb up this very steep knoll, which is one of the few kind of cut-off beach lines. And you take your lunch there, and you sit down amongst literally thousands of purple coneflowers in August, and you just sit and enjoy yourself, looking north, northwest towards Crookston. That sounds so delightful. There's a lot of diversity there. And yes, you painted a very nice picture in my brain. So check it out this summer. <laughs> um, Liza, where are you taking us? Well, I would probably take you to um, our pasture because I go hiking there almost every day. Um, currently, we, <laughs> it's obviously privately owned, but we 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 have dreams of um, starting a concert series. I don't know if it's going to happen this coming summer, but I'm I'm really hopeful by 2024 we will be able to start having um, some concerts out on the land. Um, which would mean people would have the opportunity to visit. But we, um, where we live, we're a, you, basically, again, if you're used to the kind of prairie that we think of as being the tall grass prairie, which is traditionally flatter, where I live, it, it looks very different. It almost looks like foothills um, or sections of it look like foothills for um, the Rockies. So it's more similar sort of t- topography wise to um, eastern Wyoming or eastern Montana, which we're very close to. Um so there's a place when you first come into our yard, it looks more flat and you just, you know, see grass sort of in every direction. But then you go a little bit north and you come up onto these plateaus that then look out into the river breaks of the Grand River. And you can see, you know, 40, 50 miles away pretty easily. Um, it's very epic and um, wind swept. So I, I think it's, uh, yeah, that view is inspiring and awe-inspiring, and uh, I feel unbelievably lucky that I get to see it on a nearly daily basis. Um, But if you are looking for someplace that is already open to the public, um, the Slim Buttes are about 35 miles away from us, and they are, um, it's national forest land, um, and it's just unbelievably beautiful. It's kind of like a miniature Black Hills kind of set right into the prairie. Um, so it's a it's you can travel down Highway 20, head 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 west from Bison, South Dakota, and hi- Highway 20, and you basically run into them. Um, so yeah, if you're on a road trip trying to get <laughs> across the state of South Dakota, that you will bump into them, and I yeah highly recommend that as a good place. I to will take second that. We talk a lot about Minnesota on this podcast, obviously, but I have spent some time in northwestern South Dakota, and it is. Epic is a great word to describe it. It's just incredibly beautiful in that part of the state. And you won't bump into it on purpose. You need to bump. Well, you have to bump into it on purpose, I guess is what I should say. You won't bump into it on accident. Um, You really need to be going there. But it it is beautiful. The Slim Buttes area is just gorgeous. Um, So, yeah. Endorsement as well. I like it. Now we got a vacation plan. I also particularly like that as you all are describing the places that we're going to take a hike today, that when we first started this podcast many moons ago, we, we 
our whole idea was that we wanted people to get excited about prairie and about prairie vistas. And I particularly like that almost all of you described a prairie horizon, prairie vista, this open sense of seeing and being. And so it just makes brings my little heart joy and warmth <laughs> to know that what we set out to do, we're just describing it right here in season six. And it seems like a fitting way to close out this season. And I, it's hard to believe, right? But we, we have wrapped another season of the Prairie Pod. And so don't get too sad. There's lots of Prairie Pod episodes to revisit, re-listen to. Don't forget to rate and review us in iTunes or on whatever platform you're using to listen. It helps us bring in more Prairie Peeps just like you. We hope very much that you still have many, 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 many more days on the Prairie. We're so glad that you listened. Don't forget to get out there and hashtag discover the prairie, especially in my favorite season as the blue stem turns purple, the Indian grass gets golden, and the prairie drop seed starts to smell like buttered popcorn. <laughs> all right. As always, you can find all the links that we talked about today on our website at mndnr.gov backslash prairie pod. This episode was produced by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources South Region under the Minnesota Prairie Conservation Partnership. It was edited and audio engineered by the fabulous Dan Ryder, and our web production team is led by the equally fantastic Bobby Booz. And not to be left out, our social media lead is Kelly Randall. What should we say to close out this episode? Like, just... What was our tagline? <laughs> the world is your past flower. <laughs> Get, out <of> <laughs> Get out there and enjoy it, people. Yep, for sure. <laughs>